This is Jenny Allen, and you are listening to the Made For This podcast. Hey, it's Chloe. Did you guys know that Jenny wrote a children's book series? It's called The Story of God, and it's a five-book set that paints a beautiful picture of God's love for us. We are giving Made For This listeners 20% off with code MADEFORTHIS20, so I really want you to know about this. came time to plan out and kind of consider how we wanted to talk about some topics that are, I don't know, they're a little difficult to talk about, like our health and some of the more practical ways we can take steps forward in our health, but in a biblical perspective. And we came across Dr. Bob Cutillo, and he's because he wrote a book that's called Pursuing Health in an Anxious Age, and um, he wrote it with the Gospel Coalition. And you can get it on Crossway and on Amazon. But Dr. Bob just has such a straightforward, holistic view of how we should view our bodies and how we should look at our health as a gift. So get ready because this is the two-part series with Dr. Bob. And we know you guys are going to love it. And get ready to take lots of notes. Here is Dr. Bob Cutillo and Jenny. so grateful, Dr. Cutillo. Why don't you share a little bit about who you are and what you do and care about? Uh, well, I am a physician, a family physician. I've been a family physician for over 40 years. Uh, I trained at Columbia University in New York City, uh, a very uh, high quality academic institution where I got really good medical training. But um, early on in my career, saw uh very quickly, a diversion between, say, a, um, a purely medical approach to the body and a biblical understanding of the body and um, true understanding of health that we can draw many parallels from uh, as we look at scripture. So as I began to see that divide, I began to search where I would fit into all of this. And that's why I chose family medicine, because I ultimately wanted to serve overseas and wanted to be able to give um, whole person care or care for as many ages and, and stages of life as I could. So I chose family medicine as the one that was most consistent with my uh, life goals and character. Finished my training at Cook County Hospital in Chicago, uh, which is kind of like uh, a uh, uh, undeveloped world in the developed world with a, a number of um, challenges that came with dealing with a uh, underserved population. I basically over the last 40 years, I'm, I'm basically retired now. I volunteer, but uh, I have worked with what would be called disenfranchised populations. That is those who typically are neglected by uh, the mainstream um, medical society. So uh, whether it was urban America, where I spent many years, both in Washington, D.C., Chicago, and Denver, or in Congo, I was in Kinshasa, that's where I served there. Um, it was always trying to give access to healthcare to those who had the greatest needs but had the least resources. And so I began to see my world from their perspective. And the more that I began to see the world from the perspective of the underserved and the disenfranchised and the marginalized, it gave me even a deeper perspective about what scripture had to say about wellness and health and the pursuit of wellness and health and where that truly lies. So I would have to give great credit to the people that I've served over the years in helping to give me a perspective that sort of fueled um, the ultimate coming around to writing that book and trying to help other people get a, re a more redemptive view of health. 
So I want everybody to hear what we're doing today, why we're doing this. I see and believe that health is essential to our well-being on earth, and we don't ever talk about it as believers. We don't often talk about how the things we eat and the way we choose to live is affecting our spiritual life, our emotional life, because it's just complicated. It's hard to sort out and parse out, and I think there's somewhere in our minds along the way, we picked up a theology of the body that the body is evil, that the body is not good. But yet God did create the body. (laughs) Jesus existed in a body. And so we know that the body is good and that the body, in fact, God said after he looked at two bodies on earth, the first, he said that is very good. So I want to talk first theologically about this because I do, don't you think that along the way, somehow the the Western church has, has gotten this idea that that physical health is really separate from spiritual and emotional health? Yes. That's uh, probably one of the key ways that I think um, the church and uh, you know Christian theology has misunderstood the body as um, they've marginalized it in many ways. I know that we don't use the word Gnosticism very much anymore, but um, we should re- re- renew that terminology for the education of the church because um, the early church was uh, facing Gnosticism right off the bat. And we have a modern Gnosticism that's just as powerfully affecting our view of the body as the early church did. And the early church stood strongly against the marginalization of the body um, and against a Gnostic view. And of course, just in very brief, um, you know, the Gnostic view saw the body, at least at that time, as being an intolerably imperfect entity and a hindrance to our spiritual life. And so, um, you know, the old Gnosticism basically saw the body as unimportant to the spiritual life, and it was something that one would separate from um, and consider unimportant. Uh, The church spoke strongly against that dualism. People like Arrhenius and some of the other church fathers just took it head on and said, we have to understand that Christ came in a body. And when Christ chose to come in a body, it changed forever our understanding of the body as something that was integral to who we are as human beings. And our efforts to separate the body, to marginalize it from the soul. And, you know, we don't have to wait for for Jesus to come in the body to tell us this. We have the the Genesis creation story that tells us that God breathed into the body and it became one. And so the flesh and and the body and the soul are inseparable from the moment of creation. And so then when Christ came in the body, it told us a great deal more about the body in the sense that Christ did not come into a perfect body. He chose to come into the same frail, finite, and fragile body that we possess. And so that automatically then changes our view of the body when we know that Christ himself chose to come into the frailty of our humanity and share it with us. Mm. And so I feel that once we begin to understand that, then we begin to look at the limitations of the body in a different way than the way modern culture would look at them, which are merely hindrances to our life, whether they be our spiritual life, if we're Christians, or the life we're trying to pursue as human beings, we see the body as a hindrance, um, as imperfect on mechanical standards. And so in a sense, the old Gnosticism said it was imperfect on spiritual standards, but the, the new Gnosticism or the Gnosticism of the modern age says it's imperfect by mechanical standards. How do we fix it and get rid of all the imperfections? But it's a marginalized body. It's something that's apart. And so once we do that, 
once we marginalize the body and separate it from the soul, then we have two, one of two ways we take a path. Either we overemphasize the value of the body or we underemphasize the value of the body. Both of those are sequela of the marginalization of the body. So what we need to regain again is the integrity of the soul and the body as one that God has made to be one and how the limitations of the body and the state of our soul are inseparable. Let me stop you and ask you a question because everyone right now is still stuck on those two different ways to view the body and they're asking themselves, oh no, I think I do one of those. You said that you can overemphasize the value of the body or you can underemphasize it. Let's dive into that because right now nobody else is thinking about anything else you're saying. They're going, wait, which one do I do? So would you help just people diagnose what that would look like either way? Well, I mean, certainly there are many people who would, again, I think in the modern age would say that um, by separating the body from the soul or from your, your, your most important heart pursuits, you can take the body and you can um, manipulate it as you will. You can um, change it to any way or any form you wish. You can have it meet your needs because it is just a functional separation from you that you, in a sense, possess as, a, as something you own. It's your body to do with as you will. Wow. And I think that what we have to regain is the body as gift. And if the body is gift, it's a given. It's not something that we begin to then see as a possession, my possession, my body to do with what, what I will. Because then, as I say, we can marginalize it to be too important, where it's like how I'm feeling in my body and what limitations that I have in my body are, are, are the most important thing in the world. And I've got to overcome every one of them. Or to just say, the body's unimportant. I can mistreat it. I can do whatever I want to it. I don't care. It doesn't matter that much. I don't. And some people then choose to um, abuse their body, not nurture it as a gift, but just sort of let it be wasted away and just take whatever they can from it and then hope that maybe medicine will repair the damage along the way, but never seeing it as a gift. And I think that probably for me, the biggest thing that came through when I began to write that book was what I was seeing as a physician was more and more um, a medical culture that treated the body as a possession, health as a possession, something that you could control. And by not seeing it as a gift, as something that's given for us to nurture and to appreciate and to accept in many ways in both its its strengths and its limitations, then we have, we have, we have varied so far from the biblical view of the body that we're not even close. Mm. So many things are entering my head right now that could totally be a rabbit trail, or maybe not. I think of the issue of the pressure that girls, I mean, I'm watching, I have two daughters and, and just the pressures in even that age, but also older women to control and manipulate, you know, not accept the different stages of our bodies. I mean, a million little things are coming to my mind that are results of kind of this wrong thinking about the body. And yet we don't hear this. Like there's not another, I'm not, I'm, I'm sitting here thinking this is really powerful and revolutionary just for a second in time for all of us to stop and think about the theology of the body and how important that is because it really is, we live in such a visual perfectionistic culture and even a, you're right, a controlling culture to where we can manipulate everything. There, you know, I look at, I'm going to use a funny example here, Tom Brady. 
you know, what he's done is manipulate age and time. I mean, it's pretty impressive. There is something about it that all of us that know that story and watch Tom Brady are going, man, I should prioritize my health a little better. Like maybe I could get more out of my body. And yet I think that's an extreme example. However, I want to speak to the limiting forces of that because what I saw and where I'm coming from in this conversation is actually different. It's, it's coming from a place where I decided over this break that I took this summer to take different aspects of my life and really, you know, bring people into it. So one of it was emotional and I got a counselor. Another one was, was the physical and I got a functional medicine doctor. And immediately he looks at my blood work that other physicians have looked at immediately. He goes, well, you're hypoglycemic. Nobody has said that. I, I remember now back in high school, a doctor did say that but I'd forgotten about that, never learned to manage that. And it was affecting everything about my health and my day. And so I'm sitting there going, okay, the older I get, the more I'm interested in a Tom Brady because I'm going, I don't want to miss the potential that I've been missing because of uh, something that was wrong with my body. And I just didn't know how to treat it. Does that make sense? And so caring for the body to me became the way I would have a quiet time in the morning, the way I would be able to um, work out or show up at the office. Because I wasn't taking care of my body, I was in a low place physically that I didn't have to be in. Sure. And and again, part of the um, way that we treat our bodies <laughs> is partly dependent upon the state of our bodies and, and how healthy or unhealthy they are in the beginning and what stage of life we're in. So obviously when I was younger, I paid very little attention. My body just performed pretty much the way I wanted it to when I was a young person. And I didn't really have to pay too much attention to it. It's when you actually experience a limitation of your body that you weren't planning on, that maybe that is your first sign that you are neglecting your body as an integral part of who you are. And it sounds like that's part of what might've come along for you is that you were not maybe aware of how and this goes back again, I cannot say this more, but if you don't begin with the fact that the body is a gift and it's, it's, a given, it's a givenness that is imperfect and fragile and frail. And all the scriptures tell us that our, our days are numbered, that we have a beginning and a middle and an end, that we need to be aware of what our body is going through as a way of understanding our spiritual life. And this is something that I, 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 I tried to write into the book as carefully as I could, that the body we have is not just randomly given. Like the body that you are in is not a random thing. It's a body that God chose particularly for you to have, to inhabit, to live the life he, he wants you to live. Like the flourishing of your life is meant to be within the body you have, not somebody else's body, good. not not someone's who is more healthy than you or less healthy than you. And so part of the way that we discern our spiritual life is to be in touch with our bodies. In other words, sometimes our bodies, if we don't listen to them, we will pay the price. We will get worse. We will get sicker. And eventually our body's screaming at us and we finally listen. What I try to help people to think of is you don't have to, you don't wait until your body's falling apart to, to discern that. Right from the beginning, you know that as a gift, you are meant to nurture this body. It's not meant to be something that you control. 
I mean, you, you can take advantage of various um, sources of health care that are available in our society. One must be careful that you don't just let the, the forces of healthcare that you um, submit your body to, to deviate from a biblical view that it's a gift. It's not a mechanical thing. You can just uh, take in like a car and repair that sometimes there are limitations that cannot be fixed, but that sometimes God, and this is uh, crucial for us to understand, is that God often speaks to us through the limitations of our body. That's what, right. In other words, he speaks to us through the strengths that we have but we, what we fail to recognize is that in an American culture, especially, is that often God speaks to us through the limitations that we have in order to nurture the spiritual life that, will, that is meant to flourish. And I'm sure you know people, uh, and I'm sure all the listeners know people, who basically have been running on some sort of high-octane energy most of the time and have never really had any health problems. And an example of that would be a, a young minister I met recently who basically just confessed this very thing to me. He said, you know, and if you look at him and his wife, they look like the all-American couple and they have a one-year-old child and they're ministering uh, in the city here and they've never had any problems and they're charismatic and everything is positive. And what do you know? One day she wakes up with a headache and she has a brain tumor. Right. And, and eight months out of the hospital now, um, she's lost some eyesight. Um, she's limping. She may have to go on chemotherapy and be able to have another child. And he said to me, he said, you know, everything was fine. And I never realized how, mu how much I need. I was depending on myself in my life mm. and not the Lord. Yeah. What I feel people fail to understand is that God's whole purpose in our lives is to create dependency upon him. The whole, yeah. anything, the true God, yeah. The, the one true God will always, always disappoint our efforts at self-sufficiency and independence. The one true God will always, always, always disappoint our desire to be self-sufficient and independent. So the whole purpose of life is for us to learn that we are dependent creatures on a heavenly father who delights in us and wants us to flourish. But we're not going to learn that if we think that we have control of our bodies and all we have to do when something goes wrong is stop into the uh, drive through urgent care center, get a pill, and act like it never happened. That often sickness is the very moment in which God is speaking loudest to us. And I feel like the scriptures tell us that. I'm hoping that our preachers and teachers are telling us that, but I guarantee you that the culture is really telling us that. Hey, did you guys know that Jenny wrote a children's book series? It's called The Story of God, and it's a five-book set that paints a beautiful picture of God's love for us from creation all the way to heaven. Right now, just for you guys, okay, just made for this listeners, get 20% off with code MADEFORTHIS20. These books, guys, are incredible. My kids look forward to reading them. The books start all the way at creation with I Am Creator, then it goes to the fall and sin called I am holy, then I am rescuer, which is the story of Christ. I'm with you and I am forever. And as you move through each book, it is such a simple, easy to understand way to share the gospel with your kids. Some of the big, difficult to understand concepts like sin and heaven and the Holy Spirit, these books make those conversations simple. 
At the back of every book, there's an activity guide based on what you read in the book. So it gives you questions to ask or easy, simple activities that help you drive everything that you talked about home with your kids. If the concept of talking to your kids about God and talking to your kids about sin and God's love for us and the cross feels overwhelming or complicated sometimes, like I often struggle with knowing what to say and how to communicate it in a way that my kids understand. And these books have truly helped me so much. You can get 20% off The Story of God right now with code MADEFORTHIS20 if you go to JennyAllen.com slash kids. The name of the book is Pursuing Health in an Anxious Age. And I want to talk a little bit about anxiety because one of the things I've seen, and I'm just going to set this out here and you might disagree with me, is consistently many people I love and know, including myself, have walked through seasons of struggle with their mental health. Often we encourage people immediately before they start medicine, counseling, whatever, go get a physical, <laughs> make sure that there's not something wrong. Um, we have we have done that over the years. Many people have had hormone issues. Many people have had thyroid issues. Many people have had other sicknesses that are going on in their body that they didn't even know were there. Again, not as the only cause to the anxiety because certainly there is a mental issue that they've got to work through and process causing that. And there's a million right now in the world that we could point to just generally speaking, besides all the individual circumstances we have. However, there is a tie <laughs> that I think sometimes we miss between anxiety and, and our physical health. Can you talk a little bit about even why you titled your book, What You Did? Well, the reason I, I said that, you know, we're pursuing health in an anxious age is that um, it's an observation that I feel is um, crucial for folks in more Western societies to take a hold of. And, and this goes back to what I was saying, where much of my perspective was gained by seeing the world through the eyes of the poor or through the eyes of the disenfranchised. And what I noticed as I'm working in Africa or working in underserved urban America and then you know joining the more mainstream culture is that it turns out that the more people see, feel that they're in control of their lives, the more anxious they are about the things that they don't control. They seem to increasingly lose the ability to trust that somehow the more things are that you feel like you are in control, the more anxious you are about things that you ultimately realize when you're honest with yourself, you're yeah. not in control of. And one of the first things that often shows up is your is something in your body because your body, you know, we live in a culture where most people, most people, what they're going to eat and what clothing they're going to wear and whether they're going to have a home to stay in, most people in this culture, that's not what they're worried about. But when you look at prayer lists at church, usually the number one through 10 things is the people who are praying about some health issue. That's that's the one of the things that even in America, we've realized right. maybe we don't- We can't buy our way out of that. Yeah. Can't. And so I feel that when I was noticing that many of the people that I worked with in the underserved populations than in Africa, they were much more willing to deal with the contingencies of life and in a trust mode and were less anxious, if you will, about the ups and downs of life. While I come back to a mainstream culture in America and I see that if the smallest thing happens, people start to worry that the sky is going to fall in on them. Well, it's pretty clear that anxiety and worry is not good for your health. <laughs> and if, if there is a physical component to that, 
of course, we have many ways to investigate that. And so I would think that a part of a health checkup that includes assessments for things that might be contributing to anxiety that have physical sources should be looked into because it's impossible for us to separate our emotions from our body. I mean, our efforts to separate the body into the parts has been a big mistake. Now you right. can you can do that and medicine trains us to look at the parts of the body and you do that. But if you don't reintegrate them when you see the person, then you've made a mistake. You know, I can't just look at Jenny and say she's um, a liver problem or she is an, an anxious person. I need to see you as a whole person. Yeah. And when I do, I'm much more likely to be able to help you as a physician. And so, of course, I'm going to be thinking, well, now, uh, uh, you know, Jenny's came come into the emergency room and her heart's beating at 150 a minute. She's anxious. And I got I to gotta do some things to find out what this is. And what if I find out that maybe you have a heart condition? Right. I find out. <laughs> so I'm going to be wondering about those things. But I'm also going to be aware of the fact that often it's the anxiety that's causing the heart palpitations, not the right. heart causing the anxiety. And yeah. Anxiety is the primary problem, and much of it comes from our inability to be accepting ourselves as dependent, contingent creatures who need help. <laughs> I just actually am putting something together in my own personal life. So my husband walked through a season of burnout and depression that was pretty intense, and he shared about that here before. Afterwards, like you met my husband. He's a different person. But largely, he's a different person, not because he got on medicine, although he did, and not because he got counseling, although he did. He's a different person because of what you're saying. He's a different person because he let go of control. He was in a place that was so dark, he could not fix it. And he had to basically lay there in his dark night of the soul for months and months, helpless. And there was something that happened spiritually in him that brought about a freedom that couldn't, I don't think could have been bought with anything else. And so, yes, there, I mean, my husband's a different person now and there is less anxiety in his life, but I also think it came from a near breakdown where he couldn't even get out of bed really in that season. Right. What would you, cause so many people, we're getting so many stories right now from doing this season. The season is called, are you okay? And it's like, it's like we set that question out into our podcast world and all of y'all have been emailing in and it's so heartbreaking to us. And we're really taking this soberly and, and heavily that so many people are so low right now. And so what would you say to them? What would you say? Let's just get really practical and we're going to go deeper into this guys. We're going to have more episodes with Dr. Cutello, but I just want real quickly for you all to hear some practical. So before we send everybody off today, why don't you just tell everybody what is maybe a first step? If they're sitting there going, that is me. I am like Jenny's husband where I could not get out of bed. I don't know what's wrong. I don't know whether to call a counselor or a doctor, you know, a family member. What would you say is the right first step for someone in that position? Well, I mean, again, I think that probably one of the components that is probably at play in this situation, I mean, again, I'm not aware of the particular person you're talking about. So of course, you're asking me a generic question about being low and depressed and I'm not sure what particular person we're talking about, but let's be honest with the fact that loneliness is a epidemic in our culture and the sense that we on our own have to be find a way to, you know, dig out of the hole is one of the biggest mistakes we can make that we have to everybody 
I didn't pay him to say this, by the way, just FYI. I don't even think he knows I wrote a book about this. Keep going. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean, biblical truth is biblical truth. And we were made to be in community. And much of our culture, especially during these last two, two or three years with the pandemic, we've become increasingly isolated. Um, and as isolated individuals, it's much easier to fall prey to the negative thoughts that prey upon all of our, our souls. I mean, all of us are uh, in danger. Uh, we have a, I mean, I really think that it's very honest to say that we have an adversary of our soul. I mean, Satan is is about and about about to to tell us how much we are not loved, how much we are unimportant, how much we are all alone in the world. And when we're all by ourselves with only ourselves to wrestle with those thoughts, we're in big trouble. And so the first thing we have to do is call out to God, uh, admit our powerlessness over our ability to dig out of this hole and then seek help because we cannot do this on our own. And I'm just so, so sure that many of the people that I have cared for as a physician were not well because they were so alone Mm. and felt like no one cared for them. There are words of refreshment and encouragement that we can all give to each other that we're not giving. And I think that the longer that we stay in isolation and surround ourselves with a social media world that sort of like just isolates us even further and strengthens our negative thinking, the more trouble we are. So breaking out of isolation is is the first thing. And I think we first do that by crying out to God, because if we don't tell God who loves us more than anyone, how lonely we are and how much we need help, we're, we're not going to be able to dig out of this hole on our own. If you want to read more from Dr. Bob Cutillo, you can find his book, Pursuing Health in an Anxious Age. That's on Amazon, and I'll make sure to put the link in the show notes too. Thank you so much for joining us. We'll see you next time for another episode of the Made for This podcast. Podcast.